Welcome today to our online internet around the world church service. I'm so happy that you are here and I believe that the word of the Lord will strengthen you and will be spiritual food that you need today. Praise God. Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Proverbs chapter 29 and let's take a look today at verse 7 and we, we're going to receive the tithes and offerings but I want you to see a few reasons in Scripture of why some people are poor, even, uh, unfortunately, even many of God's own people. And there are reasons for that. And, of course, we want to eliminate those reasons through biblical insight. Praise God. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 7, the righteous considers the cause of the poor. So just for a few minutes before we get into the message today, we want to consider the cause. There is a cause. There is a reason why people are poor. We're going to consider the cause of the poor. And from my observation, what I have seen, and I believe other ministers have noticed the same thing, that the number one reason that people are poor, including Christians, is because of the failure to follow and instruction, the failure to follow and instruction. And we see that in the word of God in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 18. Please look at this scripture with me as well. Here it says poverty and shame. And of course, they're sadly both associated together. It's not an honorable thing to be poor and to always need a handout or to have somebody else take care of you all the time. You want to be able to be a blessing to others. So along with poverty, you have that frustration. You have that shame of being in a state of destitution or a beggarly type state. And it's a condition that humanity was not created to be in. Poverty and shame will come to him who does what? Who disdains correction. So the person that disdains correction or instruction that doesn't understand the importance of an instruction, and they're going to get in trouble because the instruction of God's Word, the instruction given of good advice, and for that to be ignored, and for a person to do their own thing because they think, well, I'm smarter than God, or I don't need the instructions of the Bible, they're going to end up in a difficult place. Poverty and shame will come to him who disdains correction. It's important to realize that there are two parts of the gospel. Now, this is something I didn't know when I was growing up, but it is true. I know it now. There are two parts of the gospel, and the two parts are these. One, you have the person of Jesus, and it is the person of Jesus that prepares you for heaven. But it's the principles of Jesus that prepare you for the earth. Praise God. And I'm, I'm sure, I'm confident that I'm talking to people that are here on the earth. <laughs> Praise God. So you not only need the person of Jesus, uh, that takes care of your eternal salvation, but you need the principles of Jesus because you're on the earth and you need to work His principles. Praise God. You could also say it like this. It is the person of Jesus that creates your peace 
of knowing your sins are washed away, your life is right with God, and you have heaven as your eternal destination. So it is the person of Jesus that creates your peace, but it is the principles of Jesus that creates your prosperity. So you can know Christ, the person, as your Lord and Savior, and you can be a really good person. You could be a missionary. You could be, you could go to prayer meetings all the time. You could have, have a real heart for God, a real heart to serve the Lord and, and not have any extra money. Maybe you're scraping by, maybe you're even coming up short. Why? Either lack of understanding of biblical principles, uh, excuse me, of those principles or lack of an application of principles that perhaps you already have been taught that would be biblical principles you're just not following them for various reasons but my friends we want to take these instructions of God's word these principles very seriously and when you do you'll notice poverty and financial lack they just begin to move out of your life and you begin to move into a place of financial stability and it is a wonderful uh, place to be in. Praise God. Now, one of the reasons also that even God's own people do not have financial well-being is because they have no interest in money. And for whatever reason, they have been taught that money is not important, but yet while they will say money is not important, they'll turn right around and spend 40 hours a week trying to get it. <laughs> so it doesn't make any sense. And money is very important. It's important in the eyes of God. And God is the originator, the author of business and good business principles. And you need to understand that money has a spiritual side to it. And I've talked to a lot of Christians that they, they suffer in the area of finances. And I'll ask them, what kind of Christian books do you have? And maybe if they do have some, they'll tell me, well, I've got some books, Pastor Stephen, about angels. I'm like, well, that's great. Who doesn't like angels? So, <laughs> I mean, I wrote a book on angels. Everybody wants to know about angels. And then maybe they'll have another book about, uh, you know, something supernatural or something like that. And I'll ask them, well, do you, do you have any books on money? Uh, how, many, how many books do you have on money? And often is the case, they don't have any. And it's shocking. It's shocking in their personal library. You can't find one book on money. You can't find, uh, you know, uh, an MP3 download on money or anything like that. And they think that they're being spiritual by not giving money any attention. And that's not a sign of spirituality. We need to have an interest in money. And there are some Christians, they, they don't want to discuss money. They don't want to ever have a conversation about money, even if somebody wealthy were around them, even if somebody that could say, hey, let me teach you a, a few steps of how you can come into investing, a few basic simple steps. I'll even help you. I'll set it up for you. They have no interest in that, no interest in anything like that. And that is why many of God's own people are poor. Now, a third reason is because they have not been taught. They're, they're not taught in the public school system. Think about this. 
those of you that have already worked your way through elementary school, junior high, high school, and now you're well into your career. Look back upon your days of education in the public school system. Do you ever remember a teacher standing before the classroom and say, today we're going to talk about money and I want to teach you how to get a whole bunch of it. Never happened in 12 years of public education. Never happened. And by the way, don't expect it to happen. It's not going to happen. They're actually school systems are designed to educate you to read and write and be literate and, you know, to know your basics. But they're actually designed. Uh, I hate to say it, but they're designed to keep you poor. And so you're going to have to get outside of that educational box if you want to come into a place. I'm not just talking about even middle class, but if you want to go into what would be considered a wealthy place, you're going to have to get some illumination because it's not there in the public school system. They're not they're not ever going to tell you. Now, when you get out of high school and one day when you get a job, you're going to make this uh, you're going to earn this stuff that's called money. And when you get it, make sure that you always save some. They're never going to tell you anything like that. So you're going to have to learn this stuff yourself. Now, if you were not taught it in the public school system, which, you know, uh, it's, it's not being taught, so that's not even a, an option of, of getting it, then maybe, maybe some of us had parents that taught us good principles. But that's usually not the case except in families that already have money. So if the family already has wealth, then the parents usually in those types of families, they teach their children the value of money, the importance of money, how you can get it, how you can earn it and how you can keep it and how you can invest it and grow it and multiply it. But if you're not in a situation like that, then usually you're not taught at all. Now I grew up in a very godly home Three times a week, we're in church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And if there were some other special event, we would go there for that, too, there at church. But never once, never once in all of my young days of growing up at home and all through school and all of that, uh, never once while I lived at home did my parents ever teach me one thing about money. They never said, now, son, one day you're going to go out and get a job and you're going to earn this stuff called money through work and make sure that when you get it, you do this, this, this with it. We were never, me and my brothers were never told one thing about money. And, you know, if you are born into that and raised into that type of environment where you don't know. You just don't know how the system works. You're just in it <laughs> and it's working all around you and you'll end up. Here's what happens. You end up with the mentality, which is this. Well, some are meant to have it. Some obviously aren't. I guess for whatever reason, God chose that I just am not supposed to be a rich person and I'm supposed to be at this lower, lower level. And I guess one day when I get to heaven, I'll finally walk on streets of gold and I'll finally have some prosperity, but it's just not meant to be down here. Well, that mentality is formed out of not knowing God's word, which is his will and not knowing the principles of God. But when you begin to walk with the Lord and he reveals the secret of his covenant to those that fear him, he pulls back the veil on prosperity. And then you realize, oh, it's not a mystery. 
It's just a matter. It's just really a matter of obeying biblical principles. Praise God and honoring the Lord. And as you do that, you do that, you'll begin to pull ahead. You know, I think about the book written by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and how Robert said when he was growing up, he had a father that basically told him, now, son, what you need to do is you need to go off to college, you need to get education, and then you need a good job, and work a good job, and then you can make some good money, and then you can live life in a nice way. But the nice way was just like what we would call mediocre. You know, you can't have the real wealth because that's only for special people. All you can have is, you know, a nice home, get a couple of cars, and that, that's life. That's living. That's, that's what you have to expect. Well, he got in contact with another man who was the father of a, a friend of his, and that father was a rich dad. And so he began to ask him questions about money. How does all this work? <laughs> and so the rich dad had a totally different mindset, different approach, and told him, this is how you come into it. This is what I did. This is how I came into it through real estate. And, and it just all began to fall into place. And, of course, he goes on, Robert Kiyosaki does, to become very wealthy. But it's about knowledge, about what you know, uh, making proper application of that knowledge through wisdom, what is wisdom? One of the areas of wisdom is the ability to anticipate consequences. If I do this and I do it right, the consequences are going to turn out really good for me. Yes. And so, you know, and if you work that, you'll start to pull ahead. Praise God. So you, uh, you can be a person that works the principles and maybe you never do a 40-day fast. Maybe you never have a deep spiritual experience. But if you work the principles, you'll start going up financially. Praise God. So you really need to understand that. And I would say be very attentive to the instructions of the Holy Spirit, not just in the Word, but also through what could be considered wealth whispers. When the Holy Spirit leads you to move a certain direction or, or to do a certain thing, because that has a lot to do also with your prosperity. So follow the instructions of God very, very carefully, and you'll see that God's blessing towards your finances really begins to work. By the way, Proverbs 29, uh, verse 7, the righteous considers the cause of the poor. That's what we've been looking at, some of the causes of the poor. But the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Many that don't know the Lord, they think that you can fix poverty by just throwing more money at it, and it won't work. Why? Because poverty is a spiritual problem. And we see that very quickly in the Gospel of Matthew. This would be chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 Verse 11, Jesus said, for you have the poor with you always, but me, you do not have always. You're always going to have poor people. Why, Pastor Stephen? Because you're always going to have people that will not follow instructions. <laughs> no matter how clearly you teach it 
or how understandable and simple you make it for them to grasp and understand. There are some that are just not going to follow it anyhow. They want to do their own thing. And so you're always going to have people that are poor and you could give them money and poor money. And there has there's been certain undeveloped nations where literally billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars have been poured into those nations. And today they're just as poor and they are just as corrupt as they were before the billions were poured into it. So it's not a money problem. It's actually a spiritual problem. And you fix it by following the instructions of God's word uh, very closely adhering to them. And they will begin to turn any situation around and bring an individual or even a nation into a place of blessing. Praise God. Heavenly Father, I pray today that as your people bring in the holy tithes and the offerings into the storehouse, that they give great attention to the instructions of your word, that they follow the instruction that the tithe belongs to you, Lord, that if you give, uh, you, you said that if they give you the 10%, which belongs to you, you'll bless the 90%. You would open the windows of heaven over their lives. We thank you for that, that you do that. Hallelujah. With safety, protection, peace, security. We thank you, O God. Hallelujah. And Father, we thank you for the privilege and opportunity to sow seed as your Holy Spirit leads, the financial seed, so that you can multiply that back into our lives. So Father, as the tithes and offerings are being brought into the storehouse of the Lord, Father, bless your people. Thank you. Let them always be mindful of following very carefully all of your instructions. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. There are some of you that have struggled financially. You'll never You'll never be lower financially than what you are right now. You'll never know a, a lower place. You're only going up from this day forward as you carefully follow the instructions of God's word, as you obey his principles. You will never know anything less than what you have right now. Praise God. It's turning for you right now. Now, those of you that prefer to mail in your tithes and offerings, please send them to Stephen Brooks International, P.O. Box 717. Moravian Falls, North Carolina, 28654. Praise God. If you prefer to bring the tithes and offerings in online, you can do so anytime, day or night. Please visit our homepage on our ministry website, which is stephenbrooks.org. There on the homepage, there's a little red tab and has a red heart on it, and it says give. And you can click that. And that will give you the opportunity to bring your tithes directly into the ministry storehouse. And we use them to continue to preach the gospel around the world. If you would like to sow special seed, we have two projects right beneath the giving tab. There's a tab right beneath it that says projects. You click on it. It'll take you to the two current projects of the ministry hangar and also of the pure gold television airtime outreach and you could sow seed into any one of those and it continues to move the ministry forward as well. Praise God. Praise God. Anytime you sow seed, wrap anticipation and expectation around your seed for a harvest to be received back into your life. Father, we thank you. I pray that you bless your people with extraordinary, extraordinary understanding 
great working knowledge of your instructions. Thank you, Father God. Woo! We give you glory and praise. Father God, bless their giving today. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, we pray. We agree and say, Amen. Praise God. Now, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 20. We're going to look at some very interesting things in the Scriptures. I believe these are spiritual laws. We're going to look at the great importance of getting there first, and some of the incredible things that can come out of that. Praise God. Again, we're going to be in First Chronicles chapter 20. We're going to start today in verse 4. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we go into your word, we ask for the illuminating power of your Holy Spirit to be flowing today so that we can catch it, so that we can get it, so that the eyes of our inner man would see this and that faith spring forth and we can rise up and get there first. Now we give you praise in Jesus' name and we say amen. Verse 4, now it happened afterward that war broke out at Gezer with the Philistines, at which time Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Sepay, who was one of the sons of the giant, and they were subdued. Again, there was war with the Philistines, and El Hanan, the son of Jair, Killed Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. Well, I tell you what, Goliath, you know, he had brothers. And actually, he had four brothers. We know that because Scripture says so. And I really believe that when David picked up five stones, he was ready for the family feud should the brothers jump in on the scene. He only had to use one, <laughs> but I don't believe he got four others just in case he missed. I believe he got one for each should some family members start jumping out of that crowd. He was ready uh, to do some serious giant killing. So uh, Goliath had sons, and he also had a brother. Now, verse 6, yet again, there was war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature, with 24 fingers and toes, six on each hand and six on each foot. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, ah, just like, uh, fa just like father, huh? son and father, <laughs> the father did the same thing, son's doing the same thing. The defying of Israel, all the arrogance, boasting, all of that stuff. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, Killed him. Oh, so David had a brother, uh, the son of Shemaiah, also sometimes called Shammah. Uh, he is one of the brothers of David. So this would make this young man the nephew of David. So David would be uh, the uncle. And excuse me, this would be the nephew. David's brother killed him. All right. Now, these were born to the giant in Gath. And they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. Praise the Lord. This is very interesting. We have to ask ourselves that when these men did these exploits of killing the giant's brother, of killing the giant's 
sons. Did they get the same rewards as David? When the two men killed the two sons of Goliath, when they went back into the city, did the city hold a big celebration? And did they pull out all of the bells and whistles and bestow upon them things that were bestowed upon David? Such as when David killed Goliath, he received what was promised to him, which was, first of all, a whole bunch of money. And second, marriage to the king's daughter. And third, tax exemption for the person that would kill the giant. And of course, not only for him, but for his father's entire household. Mm -mm. Now, we know that was bestowed upon David, but for these other men, did they get the same reward? No. Why? Well, before we answer the question of why, we must admit that they did get a very special reward in the fact that their names are recorded in Scripture and their deeds. Wow, praise God. And to be placed into the holy canon of Scripture, where men were moved by inspiration by the Holy Spirit, uh, they were inspired to write this. Wow, what an honor. What a beautiful honor. But all of the other things that David received, did they get that? No, they did not. Why? Well, because of something very important. And I want you to consider this today in your heart. The reason why was because they did not get there first. <laughs> Woo, glory to God. And the one that breaks through first is going to be on a different platform, is going to be on a different level. Even though you may come along later and kill a giant yourself, it's different if you break through first. And I feel today that I am speaking to those that are about to break through and do something that's going to be either a first or you're going to do something that hasn't been done in so long, everybody has forgotten it or they've never seen it done, and it's going to be a first again on the scene. I believe I'm, I'm talking to those that are called to walk in the breaker, breakthrough anointing, and I believe that you're going to do something that will be identified as a first. And trust me, when you do it, there are, there are rewards for it. I believe not only in this lifetime, but when it's done in a way, of course, that glorifies God, and we want everything that we do to glorify the Lord, there are eternal reverberations attached to what you're going to do. Get ready. Praise God. I'm talking to some breakers today. Mm -mm. Let's give a few examples, though, of the importance of getting there first. This is very, very important. I'd like to talk for a moment about a man named Roger Bannister. Now, I used to run track and field in high school and then ran, uh, you know, ran on through four years of college and so forth. Middle distance runner, you know, doing also cross country and all that stuff. But in uh, May of 1954, to be exact, it was May 6th. And it was in the evening at six o'clock in the evening. Roger Bannister did something that many people thought was humanly impossible to do. 
and many had tried to do it and had gotten close to do it, but it seemed like a barrier that could not be broken. And that, of course, was the four-minute mile. And on that day of May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister broke the four-minute mile. He actually ran it in three minutes, 59 seconds. Technically, three minutes, 59.4 seconds. And it was phenomenal. Pastor Stephen, who did it after him? Well, although it's very difficult to do it even today, history is aware of who did it second and third and fourth, but nobody knows their names. Nobody knows their names. Matter of fact, Roger Bannister's world make uh, shattering, you know, world renowned record. It actually only lasted 46 days because somebody broke it. That would be the second person to go under the four minute mile. Well, I, I've never heard of them. It, no, you won't unless you're just a historian and you like to read the, the, the information about that. But all of the focus was on who did it first. As a matter of fact, as of right now, when I last checked, and I think it's pretty current, as of this time period, 1,497 men have now run a mile under four minutes. That would include some protégés in there, uh, some what we would call high school phenons that the, uh, 11, 11 guys in high school have actually run it under four minutes. But you, you have to understand also, they started training, <laughs> you know, usually when they're eight years old or 10 years old, and they're, be tra they're being trained by a very high level and by a very good coach. But it's still extremely rare. You've had about 5,000 people get to the top of Mount Everest, but less than 1,500 that have actually run under four minutes for the mile. So it's still a very difficult thing to do. But... It was a physical barrier, but the greater barrier was that of a psychological barrier where people thought it probably can't be done. And even if somebody maybe could do it, they would probably drop dead if they, you know, if they succeeded. So it's very important because I want to talk about some of the factors involved in breaking through and getting there first. Now, remember, I think. There are quite a few of you that are familiar with David and Goliath, but I don't think many of you that if I were to ask you, just, you know, sit down and we take a quiz, who is Sibachai? What did he do in the Bible? Most people are going to, even a lot of Christians that are pretty knowledgeable of the word, they're going to say, I don't even know who that is. And if we mention Jonathan, they're going to think, well, I, I didn't know that he killed the giant. And, uh, and so all of these things, Elhanan, they just, they're not familiar with these names. Why? They didn't get there first. Yes, they still did it. But there's a breaker anointing coming into the body of Christ right now. We're in it to do some very unusual things because it's the one that breaks through first that can give the glory to the Lord in a greater way. Praise God. Let's look at another man that broke through in a very unusual way, and that would be Neil Armstrong, who did something nobody had ever done before. On July the 20th, 1969, he was the first man to put his foot 
upon the moon. Woo! Amazing. First man on the moon. Now, if I were to ask you, now some of you know this, who would be a space buff, or maybe you've watched a lot of TV about science and things like that. You could probably tell me who the second person was on the moon. But then again, most people don't know who was second. Although Neil Armstrong put his feet on, on that planet and only 19 minutes later, here's number two. And by the way, that was a man named Buzz Aldrin. But most people don't know Buzz Aldrin. They only know Neil Armstrong. And as a matter of a fact, 12 men have actually walked on the surface of the moon. But if I were to ask you who was their second, most people don't know. Now, yes, it was Buzz Aldrin, but 12 others, you know, total, 12, 12 have totally walked on the moon. Most people don't know the others. Who was the last man to walk on the moon? Most people don't know that either. His name was Eugene Cernan. He was the last human to step foot on the moon. And I think that was in 1972, if I'm correct. And since then, we haven't been back ever since. Praise the Lord. But my friends, there's a breakthrough anointing that's coming. Who, here's a question for you. Who killed Goliath, and I see all the hands going up across the internet world. Hands are going up. Pastor Stephen, pick me. I've got the answer. I know who killed Goliath. I even know where he was from. Where was he from? He was from uh, Gath. And what small nation was he from? He was a Philistine. And what was his name? And everybody shouts, not just in the church, but outside of the church, everybody shouts, his name was Goliath. And why, why do we know that? Because that was the first breakthrough for David. Mm -mm. And he established a platform of giant killers. Glory to God. But he broke through first. Hallelujah. And I believe today there is a release for an anointing. Watch this. To get there first for the glory of God. If you break through first, the rewards are very, very different as compared to those who get there much later, even if it's second, even if it's second, because usually nobody even knows who got second place. Nobody knows who got there second. They don't know. But who gets there first can be the mouthpiece for the Lord. Praise God. Now. I want to get into this just for a moment. Listen to this statement. If your breakthrough is significant, you could become what in the world is known as an icon. Pastor Stephen, what is an icon? <laughs> well, in the Eastern Church, in the Byzantine era, which is an era I really like. I, I, I love their history. An icon in the Byzantine church was a painting of Jesus done on wood. And they would take that painting and they would what we would call venerate it. They would actually put it up in the church building and they would say the painting is sacred because it is a holy painting 
of Jesus. And there would be icons of John the Baptist, icons, a whole bunch of them, of Mary, the mother of Jesus, holding the baby infant Jesus. And you had all of these icons, and it grew into iconography, where you have these different biblical scenes. And they're very, very beautiful in their own special way. But we have what has morphed from icon of religious art into what can even become a cultural icon or a pop icon. Neil Armstrong became a cultural icon. Why? Because when his foot left that lunar module and he's coming down that ladder and he came down and that foot of his touched the moon. It was being broadcast to the whole world. And it was said that 20% of the global population were watching live on their televisions when that happened. So he instantly became a cultural icon and American hero because of that special moment. Praise the Lord. Roger Bannister, he became a sports icon. And today, he's identified as being a barrier breaker. And when he crossed that finish line, the next day, every major newspaper, not only in London, not only in England, not only uh, in Great Britain, every major newspaper in the world, New York Times, all of them, had a picture of him breaking the, the, the finish line tape, and it said, the, the impossible has been done. Wow. Praise the Lord. So overnight, he became a sports icon representing breaking impossible barriers. David became an icon. An icon of what? Of the underdog. <laughs> Woo! The person that wins against impossible odds. You'll hear it in sporting events. You'll hear it even in uh, business transactions sometimes. It's when the little guy beats the big guy. And everybody's betting on the big guy, and they think there's no way. There's no way this little guy is going to be able to win this. So David became this ageless icon of the underdog representing one of the greatest, if not the greatest, upsets of all time, not just on the battlefield, but on any field. And he is the symbol of the great upset, and he is the symbol of the giant killer. Mm -mm. Pastor Stephen, I want to step into that barrier-breaking anointing. I want to step into the getting their first anointing. I want to step into the, I would even call it the iconic anointing. Because if you get it right, timing's right, everything's right. There can be an iconic anointing that's released. And whenever people think about this, there's an image that's associated with that. And, you know, you go back a couple of decades, and all you had to do in the church or outside of the church, and if you said the word evangelism, instantly one person comes to mind, an iconic image of, of one person, Billy Graham. 
no matter where you lived in the world, even if you were not even a Christian, everybody, the moment you heard about anything to do with evangelism, that word evangelism or the word salvation, instantly you would think Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Mm -mm. I believe there's going to be some new breaker anointings released into the body of Christ. And it's imperative that God's people follow that leading of the Holy Spirit. And as you do, you're going to realize you're going to get there first to the glory of God. Mm -mm. I would have to say that in some areas, the church did get there first, but we fumbled the ball. Sometimes we, we didn't value the ball or protect the ball. Other times, maybe we even despised the ball itself. The ball representing various things where the church showed up first and didn't know what to do or viewed it in a bad way. Let me give you an example. Television. Probably the biggest fumble that the church has ever made, maybe even in the history of the church up to this point, where when television began to pick up steam and began, you know, you, know, you start to have the formation of channels, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, and things like that. You had preachers that went off the rails saying, Television is strictly of the devil, and if you watch it, it's all evil, it's all bad, and you should stay away from it, you shouldn't have a TV, and we shouldn't have anything to do with it. But you had a few, you had a few that saw it as a platform for reaching others with the gospel of Christ, people like Oral Roberts and others that realized, no, it's not the devil, it's just a tool, it's neutral, you can use it for good or bad, it's whatever you want to do with it, and they moved ahead. And because they moved ahead, uh, they reaped great benefits out of that. But for the most part, the church pulled back and said, no, this is not for the church. This is not for God's people. So what happened? The world took it. <laughs> and boy, did they take it. Did they ever take it? And so it wasn't until decades after the 50s, decades later, before there was finally the first Christian television network and it you know it took miracles literally for that to be founded well we could have done that back in the 1950s but the church refused to touch it so God's going to want his people to get there first but we have to first of all be able to see the value of getting there first and also the value of what this can mean if we get there first and take take the ground praise God Praise God. All right, Pastor Stephen, I want to I wanna get there. What do I need to do? Let's talk about four things that are required for you to get there first. Number one, you're going to need an opportunity. Please say that today. Say opportunity. You're going to need an opportunity. And I am here today to tell you that the opportunity is going to be presented to you. I would call the opportunity an open door. Well, now, uh, Pastor Stephen, now that you mention that, I have noticed a door that's open, but um, doesn't seem like anybody wants to go through it. There's a reason for that. There's a reason not too many people wanted to get into the NASA space flight astronaut program because you're going to sit on top of basically 
in some ways what's nothing more than a potentially large bomb if you have a problem because you've got all this rocket fuel and you're in this little capsule on top it's called a rocket but everything beneath your capsule it's all it's all ready to be ignited and it's a propellant but what if something goes wrong well you're going to you're going to die you're going to you're going to go up in flames and so it, it had high risk the astronaut field had high risk and there were astronauts that almost died in space there were those that died in practice when going through rehearsal on the landing pad on the on the on the launch vehicle and so forth uh very tragic deaths and then of course you later we had the challenger death and thing you know the episode of those that perished in that but the space industry is very very high risk but at the same time you know, Neil Armstrong must have said, hey, I'm in. I, I know it's risky, but I'm in. And so he went for it. And you're going to have to you're going to have to look for the opportunity. Same thing with Roger Bannister. There were those that said the four minute mile is humanly impossible. Nobody could run that fast. And even if somebody did, they could they could die. Well, what happened to Roger Bannister is when he ran three minutes and 59 seconds, when he crossed the finish line, he actually started to collapse and somebody caught him. So it's not like he fell out, but somebody caught him. But what he did say later is that he said he started to black out and he lost all vision. His heart rate just, uh, excuse me, his, his blood pressure dropped and he, he was in a fainting process. So if somebody had not grabbed him, he would have passed out. Well, when people saw him stagger like that and start to kind of like lose it, there were those that said, oh, we're right. He's going to die. He's going to die. His heart's exploded or something like that. But, uh, you know, he recovered quite quickly. But there can be risk when you go into the unknown. By the, by the way, today's world record in the mile is three minutes and 43 seconds. That's uh, done by Hakeem El Garouj. Maybe, maybe it'll never be broken. It's going to be very, very hard to break that. If you've ever gone out to a track just for fun to see how fast you can go around one lap and you time yourself. Well, he did each lap averaging 55 seconds a lap. That's going to be a very, very difficult world record to break. And it's stood now for quite some time. But you're going to need an opportunity. And you're going to notice the risk. You're going to notice the challenges. I'm not going to tell you that it's not going to be there because it is. What about David? David had the opportunity so that everybody else standing there in the, in the Israeli army while Goliath showed up every day, mocking, taunting, ridiculing the Israelis and blaspheming God. All those men had their opportunity. But see, David had an opportunity and he decided to take it. Well, Pastor Stephen, you know, God was with him. Well, hey, God could have been with anybody that wanted to step out and trust God and had the faith for it, but nobody else moved. They were frozen in fear. They were really paralyzed by the, the threats. The intimidation is a terrorism spirit released by Goliath that hit that army. So David going out there, there this is a very real threat. This is a very real potential that you're going to you're going to not only die, but you're going to die in a very humiliating way in front of your family members, your brothers and, you know, the nation that you belong to. But you know what? He was he was aware of all of that. But 
He was more aware of God's covenant keeping ability. He was also more aware that, hey, I've already killed a lion, I've already killed a bear, and this guy is going to be just like them. Uh, these things I've done had done been done in private, but today's my day to do something in public. God's with me. Let's get it going. Praise the Lord. And so, so you're going to need the opportunity, and you'll see. You'll see risk, but God's going to give you that opportunity. Praise God. Mm -mm. I, need, I need to mention this concerning the opportunity. Let me just pull this up, a little quote, actually, on my phone here. And this is very, very important about opportunity. Your opportunity will not last forever. I would call it even a window of opportunity. And all windows potentially can close. And David made his move on Goliath. What was Goliath? <laughs> he was a giant. Yes, he was a giant opportunity also. But you know what? It could have been that maybe somebody else, the Spirit of the Lord, would have begun to move on somebody else if David didn't do what he was supposed to do. Uh, because somebody's going to kill that giant eventually. So there is this thing of opportunity of the open window, and it doesn't last forever. You need to be very, very aware of that. Doesn't mean that you rush and get into something that you're not supposed to be into, but it does mean that when you know, uh, you're, you're going to have to make a decision. Now, uh, Roger Bannister later in his writings, he recalled his trepidation on the blustery night of May 6, 1954, when Franz Stumpfel, his coach, implored him to run an attract meet between Oxford and the Amateur Athletic Association. And this is what Bannister said. He said, the coach said to me, although the conditions are not ideal, and let me interject, for a world record and for a barrier-breaking moment, you would prefer ideal conditions. The wind not blowing, the sun shining, everything just right. But it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It was... The situation of the weather was not ideal. Everything was damp, and it could rain, it could, you know, cloudy, all that type of stuff. But the coach said to me, although the conditions are not ideal, if you don't take this opportunity, you might not forgive yourself for the rest of your life. And he was right. He was right. Why? You've got two Americans, and you've got one Australian. They've already run four minutes and two seconds. And so they have realized that the barrier is mainly psychological and they're going after it and they're pushing hard. And uh, the competition also was hot on the pursuit of Mr. Bannister. Like I said, I think it was only 46 days after he broke it, somebody else broke it. So the coach said, look, we're going to have this track meet. We're going to set this up. And you need to commit to this. And we know what time of the year this is. It's probably going to be a day that could even could have moisture, could rain or something like that. But sometime during on that day, we're going to get this race in. And even if our conditions aren't right, you're going to have to do it. Why? There's others. There's others that they're, they're on it. And so what happens with every opportunity? It's a window that if you don't move, it could close on you. And somebody else is going to go through that door. And if David didn't come out. David didn't come out and take that fight. Uh, eventually, that anointing of faith would lift, and somebody else is going to go out there. 
God's going to be with that person. Now, if somebody else would have done it, it wouldn't have meant that they were called to be the king. But like, like David was, but my friends, I have confidence that you'll step out. I have confidence that you'll do it, even though it may not be the way that you would prefer to be. Uh, maybe you wish you had more money. Maybe you wish you had more support. Maybe you wish that you didn't have so many other things going on. But when the opportunity is there and it's time, you're going to have to really step out and go forward. Praise God. Praise God. He said to me, although the conditions are not ideal, if you don't take this opportunity, you might not forgive yourself for the rest of your life. It was that opportunity that made him world famous. It was that opportunity that he took advantage of, of that made him a cultural icon to the whole world as a barrier breaker. Even today, even today, he's still talked about, although he passed away some years back, his life is still celebrated today. So number one, you're going to need an opportunity. Number two, you're going to need what I would just call a real solid knowing in your life. You can't do everything. I take it that you figure that out by now. You can't do it all. You have to stay in your lane. You have to stay in your assignment. We're all like that. You know, Michael Jordan, really good at basketball, but um, I never saw him on the Olympic swim team. And, you know, you could have, you could have a dentist really good at fixing cavities and removing a bad tooth and putting a new, a new tooth in and making you look real nice with your teeth and stuff like that. But you know what? You go to get your brain operated on. Where's the dentist? How come he's not there? That, that's not his area. So you have to stay in your field. And in your field, you will have these opportunities to do some special things. You can't do it all. But you will have those special moments. And you have to know that what you can do, that's your thing. And you can't try to do it all or you're not going to end up doing anything. You've got to go for those special things and put all of your focus on that. Well, Pastor Stephen, how can I know that I know? Well, you'll sense this is the one I've been waiting for. And when you start to get a witness of the Holy Spirit, an inward confirmation that, yep, this is it. This is the one that you've been thinking about. This is, this is the dream. This is the open door. Then I would suggest that in order to preserve that opportunity, and keep it reserved for you for the first place that you really spend some extra time with the Lord in prayer. I would, I would encourage you maybe to do a little fasting and push the plate back and devote that time to prayer and waiting on the Lord and just get it straight from the Lord. Lord, is this the one praise God? You know, I went into the prayer closet one day and I said, Lord, I can't wait any longer. I said, I have got to know the name of the television program because once you name a television program, our half hour television program, you can't change it later because then if you change it, you'll confuse your viewing audience and then you may lose them because they don't know how to find your show. Now it's got a different name. So it's not like you can just like change it. Oh, I didn't like that name. And six months later, change it again. And you know, eventually we'll get it right. No, some things you've got to get it right from the start. And I went into the prayer closet and I said, Lord, I said, I like the name pure gold, but I said, I don't know if that 
is the name that I should really, you know, put in cement because once it's there, you know, I'm going to have to have it trademarked and then we'll, we'll put it out there and it starts to get branded. You understand what I'm saying? You can't have Coca-Cola's thing. Well, we'll change our name. Let's get a different name for the company. You can't have Rolex change their name. You can't do that. Why? You have created more than just a logo. You're now branded and that brand image has uh, wealth attached to it. By the way, what is the number one brand? What is the most valuable brand today in the world? I'm not talking about the most valuable company, but what is ranked the number one brand in the world today? It might surprise you. It's Ferrari. It's ranked the highest, most valuable brand in the world. Praise God. So, you know, if that's your brand, you're not going to change that. <laughs> so I said, Lord. I've got to hear from you. What would you say to me? And I was on my knees and the Lord spoke to me and he said, the name of your program is found in Exodus chapter 30, verse three. And he said, go there. I'll, I'll reveal it to you. And I turned there and it was about the altar of incense. And it said, it's overlaid with pure gold. And when I read it, when I turned there and read it, the words pure gold, they became almost like a hologram and they lifted up off the scripture page and they were illuminated. They looked like they were glistening. And the Lord said, the name of the show is pure gold. Woo! Hallelujah. Glory to God. If, if you don't know, you need to find out why, because this is the big one. This is, this is a destiny moment. This is one of those things you can't do everything, but the things you can do, let's do it right. Let's get it right. Praise God. So that's very important. Take time so that you have absolute certainty when you step out. This, this is something that is the opportunity that is for you. Praise the Lord. And, and again, don't, don't wait too long. But at the same time, make sure you get it right. So you're going to need an opportunity. You're going to need an inward knowing. And number three, you're going to need unusual courage. Praise God. We see this in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. I've actually, I've actually seen that happen. I've seen people get hit with the spirit of fear and run. They don't even know what they're running from. <laughs> they're just running. The wicked flee when no one pursues. But the righteous, that's you. That's the people of God. The righteous are bold as a lion. You're going to need... That boldness, praise God. You're going to need that courage, that faith, no wavering, no doubting. Hallelujah. This is my moment. Hallelujah. I mean, you could see the boldness coming out of David. It was on a, an extreme high level when he went up against Goliath and Goliath and his big mouth and all of his blabbing and threats and no fear in David. I mean, he talks back to the giant, says, today I'm taking your head off and th that big body of yours, I'm going to feed your dead carcass to the birds. Woo. I mean, there's, there's boldness, boldness. So there is that rising up when you know, when you know, this is my door and I'm going, I'm going up. Hallelujah. Mm, 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 mm. There's boldness in it. Let that flow out of you. It's not arrogance. That's not pride. We know what that is because arrogance and pride are in the flesh, but there is a boldness in the spirit that, um, it's very, very powerful. And I see that being upon your life. Praise God. I would say some of that will mix with the gift of special faith. The gift of faith is different from normal faith. 
where you have faith in God and you, you trust God, you believe God, special faith can come upon you and will rest upon you to do that special thing. Praise God. And number four, very important, you're going to need, you're going to need inspiration. This has to be something that excites you. This has to be something that moves you in the very core of your being where you realize that's my moment. This is me. This is what I was made for. I mean, David's thinking, hey, Goliath, hey, you know, I'm not quite sure how you turned into a giant, but you know what? I've already had practice. I've been through the, the lion. I've been through the bear. You know what? This, this is a setup for me. And, uh, and it was. So it's that, it's that thing that inspires you. You know, yep, this is it. This is the thing. Yep, I'm in on this. Woo! You need an inspiration. Praise the Lord. And that inspiration will help you when the times can be tough. I remember that Dr. Robert Schuler, he was in the process of building the Crystal Cathedral there in Orange County, Southern California. And he's building something that in many ways had never been built before, especially by a minister. No, no preacher on the planet had ever built something of what he was building, the Crystal Cathedral. And he got, he got into it, and it got difficult. It got difficult. He was having all kinds of red tape from the county, all these permits and all these codes. You need to do this. You need to do this. And we, you need to re-engineer that. And, you know, of course, it costs more and more money to do all of that. And then you had all these, all these challenges. And, and plus, you're raising the money to do it. It's a faith project. And so Dr. Peter Daniels, the Christian businessman, said that he went to go visit Robert Schuler one day. And Robert Schuler was in the midst of all of this, building this facility and all of the problems and all of the headache. And Mr. Schuler just collapsed in his chair. And he said to Peter Daniels, you know what? This is so difficult. I have so many problems and so much stress from all sides. He says, I just wish I could have a glorious heart attack and die and go to heaven and be relieved of all of this. <laughs> And Peter Daniel said, uh, he said, no, you can't do that. He said, why? He said, because you wrote the book, Possibility Thinking. Woo! What was that book about? It's the, it was a book about, although negative influences and negative things are everywhere, saying you can't do it, it's impossible, you can't do it. When you look to the Lord and trust Him and you stay in faith, then all things become possible to him who believes. And so basically, Peter Daniel said, you wrote that book, so you're not getting out of this. <laughs> Praise God. But see, you have to go back to that inspiration, why this stirred you, why this drew uh, you, you into this. And it will really help you. That inspiration is like fire, and it will help you to keep on pushing when times can be difficult, especially when it's something maybe that's not going to get accomplished overnight. See, David killed Goliath. In one moment, in one day. But there's other things they fall. They're giants. They will fall, but they fall in a different way. And maybe it doesn't happen overnight or even in a week or a few months. But as you stay with it, you will get it done. And of course, Crystal Cathedral did get built. And really, there's no telling how many people were saved because uh, he had that beautiful facility. And then he's also preaching and teaching on the uh, television programs. And that's going all over the world. Uh, 
And a lot of people got saved through his ministry, praise God. But they would also see the word backed with a very beautiful evidence or manifestation of his faith. And they could see that, something very beautiful. That's also what I like about Dr. Oral Roberts. Yes, he was a great preacher. Yes, he had a great healing ministry. But he also built a first-class university where you could go and you could, you could see it. Oh, you could touch it. Oh, there's buildings. There's professors. There's, there's something that he has built. Yes, praise the Lord. And in many times, that is something that the Lord desires. Praise the Lord. You need those four things. You need opportunity. You need a deep inward knowing. You're going to need courage. You're going to need to be as bold as a lion. And number four, you're going to need to be inspired. It has to be something that stirs within you, brings a great inspiration within you, even when you think about it. Mm -mm, praise God. And if you will follow this, you will end up getting there first, and you can use it for the glory of God. Praise God. There are many things that the enemy has captured that he has actually held them for so long. They used to even belong to the church, but he's held them for so long. The church has even lost the understanding of the origin of those things that are now in the enemy's camp. Well, there's going to be breaker anointings and many of God's people or they're going to rise up and they're going to get there first and they're going to bring it back. Now, it's been gone so long that there will be those that will say, this is a first. And in some senses, it is. But it's, it's a first because we haven't seen it maybe in 200 years or 400 years or 1,400 years or whatever it might be. But my friends, get ready. Praise God to be on the front lines. You're going to have to move quick. You're going to have to move quick. Praise God. And if you, if you can see this very, very clearly, Anything that you need to get there to the get there first, God will help you to do it. Mm -mm. David ran, ran toward Goliath. Praise God. Didn't want anybody else taking his blessing. Didn't want anybody else taking that opportunity. <laughs> Praise God. I want to pray for you right now. And I want you to understand that it's also possible to accomplish something for the glory of God in such a way when certain factors come together. That when it's all said and done, it can have an element of, of being an icon, praise God, where you do something that it stamps a memory in the image screen of people's minds. Woo, hallelujah, glory to God. Mm, 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 mm. The actual act may be just for a moment, but the, but the, the imprint can last like it did for David, not just for a lifetime, for generations, for generations and generations, people still talking about it. Praise the Lord. That's the value of a Holy Spirit iconic moment, something that is lifted up, that honors God, that in many ways it's timeless. Father, I pray for your people. Let that breaker anointing come upon them. Let that iconic anointing come upon them. Lord, the church, the church should be iconic. The world celebrates pop icons. The world celebrates 
all kinds of iconic stuff that's not saintly, that should not be venerated, that should not be lifted up. So, Lord, you're going you're gonna to move in some very, very powerful ways that will bring glory to you. So let that iconic anointing rest upon your people. But, Father, they've got to get there first. So help them. Help them to be able, by your grace and wisdom, to get there first for your glory. Thank you, Father. Let the opportunity come for them. Let the inward knowing be established. Let the boldness be there. Father, let the inspiration be burning, fiery hot within them. Thank you. Thank you, Father God. And seal it within their spirit right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Be looking for that door to open. Praise the Lord. If you're watching today's program and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, well, there's no higher name than Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross to die on the cross to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. And if you'll just put your faith and trust in Him and turn from your sin and receive Him as your Lord and Savior, then you can receive what he accomplished for you while he was on the cross, which was the payment of every sin that you've ever committed. And he'll give you his eternal life within your heart. So if you would like to receive complete pardon and forgiveness of sins and eternal life in Christ, pray this prayer after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but you died for sinners to save us from our sins. So, Jesus, come into my heart. Wash all of my sins away. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Write my name in your book of life. And from this day forward, step into my life and lead me and guide me in all that I do. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. And Amen. And my friends, the Lord has heard that prayer. The Lord has heard that prayer. And you now belong to Him. Welcome also to the family of God, to the church of the living God. Praise God. Praise the Lord forever. Well, now let's all take Holy Communion together and celebrate Jesus today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Mmm. Mmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't believe you'll ever look at an iconic picture the same ever again. Anytime you hear that word icon, you're going to thank Lord. You're the one who's high and lifted up and you can touch your people to carry your name and to exalt your name. And you can release that same anointing for us to break through and get there first. Hallelujah. I believe there's an iconic anointing coming up on your life. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Now, grab some unleavened bread. Grab some grape juice. Let's pray over it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and the juice. We bless it. We consecrate it. We set it apart as holy. And we thank you this is now the body and the blood of Christ our Savior. Father, when we look at it, we still see a wafer and we still see grape juice. But it is the body and blood of Christ under the veil, under the form of bread and juice.
So, Father, as we receive the body of Christ, we thank you for all that Jesus has made available for us. Thank you, Father God, that as we lift up Christ, as we lift up Christ, you'll take us many places and you'll do many, many things that will bring great honor. Thank you, Father God. Thank you. Let there be a breaker anointing. Let there be a breaker anointing come upon your people. Father, we thank you for the door that is going to open in Jesus' name. Let's receive the body of Christ. We are told in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we are justified by faith. And we're also told by the Apostle Paul that we're justified by faith through the shed blood of Christ. Now, justified does carry the meaning of just as if you never sinned. So when you're justified in the eyes of God, God sees you with your sins forgiven. And you're, although we commit sin, it's when we repent and confess it, it's just as if we never sinned. Now, the meaning, though, is, is deeper because in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, when it talks about justification, Romans 4 talks about the imputation of righteousness. So if we were only justified, if we sin and we repent, God washes the sin away. Well, we're right back to that state of being justified again, just as if we never sinned. But justification also go along, goes along with righteousness. So the righteousness is imputed to us so that we are in a place of being justified. Yes, just as if we never sinned, but we're also righteous because we are in Christ. And when God the Father sees us, He sees us in His Son. And so we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. So we are justified, just as if we never sinned. And we also are righteous because we are in Christ. Woo! Praise the Lord. Everything is right between us and God. Hallelujah. And our sins are washed away just as if we had never sinned in the first place. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Thank God that Jesus went to the cross to pay the awful penalty of sin. Hallelujah. The punishment that should have come upon us for our sins was placed upon him and he bore the wrath of God so that we can be justified and so that we can be righteous. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, as we receive the blood of Jesus, Father, we ask that if we have committed any sins, that you would forgive us. We repent and turn from any sin. And Father, we forgive anybody who has sinned against us. And we ask that you would lead us away from temptation. And we ask that you would deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Father God, for keeping us safe, protecting us. And thank you, Father God, for the anointing to break through for your glory. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's receive the blood of Jesus. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Mm -mm. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Be looking for these four things. Be looking for the open door, the opportunity. Be looking for that deep knowing, and that's something that you can develop. And the boldness will come. And also, my friends, the inspiration will be there. Mm -mm. Thank you, Father. It's all going to come together. We 
are in a time right now of convergence. Maybe you've noticed it where things are coming together in a good way. It's, uh, there can be a bad convergence when bad things come together, but we God's people are in a convergence where all of the good things are coming together at the right time. And because of that convergence, you're going to end up there first for the glory of God and you'll give God all the glory. Mm, 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 mm. So be looking for a convergence of these four things we've talked about today. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to seeing you back next time. Till then, stay richly blessed. Bye-bye.